Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 23. We're going to be looking today at verses 32 through 38. As you consider where we are in this gospel account, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, is led away to be crucified. What a, an amazing, humbling thought that is. And that's what we come to in the text today. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation of what we believe and what has been the focus of Luke's gospel and Jesus' ministry. And as we look at the text today, my prayer is that we would look with eyes of faith, that we would resist the temptation to just gloss over these truths that we've heard so many times. This is the gospel. This is what we've sung. This is what we've seen on flannel graphs if we're old enough. And this is what we've uh, been taught in Sunday school lessons. And this is what we've heard again and again and again and again and again and again. And, and our hearts are prone to wander and get used to things. And sadly, at times, we can gloss over even the gospel. And my prayer is that we would approach it with thankfulness rather than hearts that are used to the story. And so let's stand together and follow along as I read, beginning with Luke 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the good news that is the gospel. That we have hope in the truth of this text. Jesus, that you died. Not because you were a criminal, but because we are criminals. And you died to take away our sins. So we praise you and we thank you and we ask you to help us to remember with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As we approach the text, as you consider the Old Testament, the narrative of the Old Testament, there were in the Old Testament three offices, prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, each of these had specific redemptive purposes. In the Old Testament, the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people. Often you remember the prophet would begin whatever he was about to say with the words, Thus says the Lord. He spoke words of indictment against the people for their sins and would call them to repent. He would proclaim the forgiveness and pardon of God that was provided only by God. But he spoke as the mouthpiece 
of God. The high priest in the Old Testament was the mediator between the holy God and his sinful people. He would enter the holy place and offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people once a year on the Day of Atonement. You can read in Leviticus 16. The high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, as Leviticus 16.16 says, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. He did this year after year after year after year. The king in the Old Testament was to bring about the peace and prosperity and welfare of the people. When you think of Old Testament king, who comes to mind? Yes, David. (laughs) Good. Of course, David. No king was beloved like David. With David on the throne, the people could say, it is well. He was a ruler of righteousness and strength, sitting on a throne of power. 2 Samuel 8.15 says of him, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people, prophet and priest and king. Now, what does that have to do with our passage today? Aren't we supposed to be talking about Jesus and his crucifixion? The answer to that is yes. That's what we're talking about, but in this way. Because a great hope of the text that we have before us today is how clearly we see that Jesus has come as the greater prophet, the greater priest, and the greater king. He is the fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament, these specific roles. And so let's look at each of them through the lens of the gospel and our text today. First, Jesus is the greater prophet. Moses was not good enough. Old Testament prophets weren't the point. Jesus has come as the final and sufficient prophet. First, we see that Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. If you look in the text at verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Now, if you know the story, you know that's significant. That second part there, that they divided his garments, is a significant truth that is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. In Psalm 22, verse 18 The chapter, the psalm that Jesus references on the cross, affirming that he is the fulfillment of it, it says this in verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And here we see in Luke 23, this is an exact fulfillment of what was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was even taking on flesh and, and come to earth. He's the fulfillment. We see also, as we look ahead to verses 35 through 37, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Again, this is prophecy fulfilled. 
These are things that were prophesied in the Old Testament that would take place and were fulfilled in Christ the greater prophet. Psalm 22 verses 6 through 8 says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. That is a glorious truth that hundreds of years prior to what's taking place on the cross, the very words were proclaimed in prophecy about Jesus that are now proclaimed against him on the cross. That is a hope-giving truth. Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So Jesus, the greater prophet, comes first as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. But he comes as more than that. He comes fulfilling the role of prophet, the mouthpiece of of God. He is the prophet that all other prophets pointed to. The Old Testament prophets spoke on behalf of God, and Jesus does that. He proclaims God's word, but he proclaims it as God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1, 1. So Jesus comes, the greater prophet, yes, proclaiming God's word as a prophet does, but he's proclaiming God's word as God's word in the flesh. And so as we look at verse 34, where it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus comes proclaiming, we don't just have to look here. We can look at all through the Gospel of Luke, all through the Gospel accounts. But here's this beautiful, humbling fulfillment of that as he's suffering on the cross and proclaims forgiveness of sins to the people. What an amazing, amazing, amazing thought. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is amazing Grace and hope of forgiveness proclaimed by Jesus, our greater prophet. We saw last week in the previous verses how just as the Old Testament prophets came proclaiming repentance of sin, Jesus comes calling people to repent and turn to him. To him, the one who is the fulfillment of all of these promises. So we see Jesus as the greater prophet prophet who has come to his people. Secondly, we see Jesus as the greater priest. The priest that all of the Old Testament priests pointed to. Because not only does Jesus proclaim forgiveness of sins as the greater prophet, he comes as the one who provides forgiveness of sins as the greater priest. He is saying here on the cross, Father, forgive them, while at the same time being the means of their forgiveness. That is a phenomenal, glorious thought about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. At the very moment, he is suffering God's wrath for our sins, providing that forgiveness for us. A greater priest... Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for our 
sins. Like the Old Testament priest, Jesus entered the holy place, enters into the presence of God, but unlike the high priest, he entered to offer himself. And so, he only had to enter one time, one sacrifice, because he sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat and satisfied the Father's wrath for our sin. The writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purifications of the f- purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus as our great high priest, the fulfillment of what all of the priesthood in the Old Testament was pointing to, comes and not only proclaims forgiveness of sins, but provides by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, that forgiveness for us. And as the writer of Hebrews is saying here, how great a high priest priest do we have in Christ? Look at verse 32. As you consider Christ coming, taking on flesh, becoming our high priest for us, verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel story is that Jesus taking on flesh as our great high priest, is identified with criminals. Jesus as high priest who offered himself is identified with transgressors, with lawbreakers. He's treated as a transgressor. He's counted as a lawbreaker. The very one he, who, who proclaimed God's judgment as prophet, identifies himself with lawbreakers as our priest. And the one he proclaimed God's judgment to as prophet, he identifies with as priest. God proclaims, Christ proclaims judgment on lawbreakers but has become a lawbreaker on our behalf as our high priest, as our mediator, truly mediating between us, those who are truly transgressors, truly lawbreakers, and God who is holy and just. Verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Let me say quickly or ask quickly, could it be put more simply than that? There they crucified him. 
as a preacher, I might be tempted at times to dramatize the account of the crucifixion. Or as someone sharing their faith, you may be, you may be tempted to just dramatize the account of the crucifixion. If I could just help people see how bloody and torturous, if I can, if I can help people feel the suffering and to imagine the horrors, then maybe they will be more inclined to respond to what took place. But the writers of the Gospels don't seem to think that that's necessary. It's incredible as we come to verse 33. They just, they just put it so simply. Here in, in the English and the ESV, it's four words. In the original Greek, it's three words. There they crucified him. The greatest and at the same time most horrific event that has ever happened since the creation of man is summarized in there they crucified him. It's incredible. But the writers didn't seem to think that it needed to be said in a more dramatic way. Verse 34, Jesus proclaims to the people, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As high priest, he proclaims forgiveness and he provides forgiveness. By the truth that there they crucified him. Not me, not you. They crucified Jesus, our high priest, our provision of righteousness. Three, we see Jesus as the greater king. Jesus proclaims forgiveness of sins as prophet. Jesus provides forgiveness of sins as priest. But also Jesus protects us. He protects from the reign of sin over us. He protects us not allowing sin to reign over our bodies. As we consider Jesus here, the greater king being slaughtered on the cross... He is a far greater greater king than David. Revelation 1 verse 5 tells us that he is ruler of kings on earth. Revelation 19 verse 16 says he is king of kings and lord of lords. And yet this king willingly is slaughtered, crucified, and bears our sins on the cross as priest of God. He rules with perfect justice and equity. He's fought our battles for us. That's what he's doing on the cross, having conquered our greatest enemies of sin and death and rules in such a way that sin can never reign over us again if we are in him. Paul writes it this way in Romans 6, verses 7 through 14. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives 
to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, why is that true of us who are in Christ? Because Christ, our King, has led us from death to to life. He died on our behalf and brings us to life and then protects us as king from sin and death. And so Paul can say, for us who have been brought to life, don't present your members to sin. That's the old life. Don't present your members as if they are still dead. Rather, present yourselves to God. We look again at Luke 23 and consider our greater King, Christ, who is crucified in this text. Verse 36 and 37, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. This is wonderful. Not that they mocked him, but in their accusations and mocking, these Romans assume that if Jesus were really king of the Jews, he would save himself. He would just say the word and rescue himself. He would deliver himself if he's this great king of the Jews. But the glory of the gospel is that as the true king of the Jews, he does the opposite. He delivers himself up to be crucified to rescue his servants. What a beautiful, glorious picture of kingship we have in Jesus. The beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus, the greater king, that is as king of the Jews, he dies to save and deliver others, not himself. Verse 38, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Pilate puts this inscription above Jesus, claiming in the inscription that Jesus died as king of the Jews. Now, Pilate's motivations may have been just to get back at the Jewish people that he wasn't very fond of. His response is, what I've written, I've written. Whatever his motivation, though, is, it's true nonetheless. This inscription is true of our king. Jesus, our greater king, gives his own life, doesn't deliver himself from death, but delivers himself to death to rescue those who would trust in him. Jesus Christ comes as the greater prophet, the word made flesh, proclaiming good news, the gospel of himself to us. And part of that gospel is there is hope of forgiveness. Father, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. And he comes as the greater priest, the one true mediator between God and man. And in mediating, gives himself as the provision for our forgiveness, the means by which we can be reconciled to God. And he comes as the greater king, who as king delivers himself up to be crucified, that he might rescue his subjects. You consider him, consider Jesus, and what we've read leading up to this text and what we read in the text, that he would willingly lay down his life for the sins of those who would come to him. What I pray for us today is this. Whether you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've maybe grown up in the church, maybe you're a newer believer, maybe you're here as a visitor, not certain of what you believe. But my prayer is that each of us would recognize the unfathomable greatness of what we have in Christ and what the scriptures truly present to us in Christ, the greater prophet and priest and king. And as you consider Jesus this morning, consider him, the one who identified with you. We're the criminals. We're going to talk about that more next week. We're the criminals. He's the innocent one, yet willingly identifies with transgressors, proclaiming and providing forgiveness of sins for us, reigning over all things, including the hope that sin will never reign over those who are in him. And as you consider Christ and who he is and what we have in Christ, my prayer is that you would rejoice and that I would rejoice and as Paul encourages us that we would present our bodies to him. The earthly pictures of prophet and priest and king in the Old Testament were purposeful reminders that man cannot save himself. Moses wasn't good enough. Aaron wasn't good enough. David wasn't good enough. We can't fix our own problems. We are desperate and have always been desperate for someone to come and rescue us deliver us. And Christ is the one who has come. Proclaimed that we fall short of the glory of God. Becomes as fulfillment, the righteous one on our behalf, as sacrifice and as king. He comes as the only hope for man. And he invites us to come and follow him and have life in his name. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't know him, the prayer room's going to be open as we sing in just a few minutes. Dave and Caressa Crandall will be there. would love to pray with you. would love to talk with you. I would encourage you, consider Christ. And what is it that the Bible is presenting to us as it presents Christ to us? God's Son, God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, coming and proclaiming God's judgment, but at the same time taking God's judgment for those who would trust in Him. What a phenomenal story of grace. And if you don't know Him, go. Go and talk and pray and surrender to this great King.
As we together here go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sins. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what's happening here on the cross. In verse 33, where it says, there they crucified him. There's a purpose in that. And purpose is that God is crushing his son for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we partake together of the Lord's Supper, this is something we celebrate together. There's forgiveness of sins in Jesus. We remember that he has provided for forgiveness and protects us from sin reigning over us. That his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we join him in that proclamation. In fact, Paul words that this way in 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But even in that proclamation that we joyfully get to do together week in and week out, there's recognition. That's what Paul's saying here. There's a recognition that the partaking of the bread and the cup is for those who have already partaken of forgiveness. That's what he goes on to say in the text. It's for those who can say, because of our king, it is well. And so he warns those who are not taking it in a worthy manner, those who would be guilty in taking it, those who who can't proclaim from their hearts the body and blood of Jesus and their faith in him to not partake. And we would encourage you similarly, if that's you, if you're not in a place where you would say it is well because of Jesus and my sins are forgiven, If you cannot say, as Paul says, that you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, then let the bread and the cup pass. Let the elements pass and remember, think what we have read and consider the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And our prayer for you today is that you would partake of him, that you partake of Jesus today. Let me encourage us again as we ready our hearts. Examine your hearts Realize that you need to be rescued, that you need to be forgiven, and hear the word of the Lord. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. Your grace. And Jesus, um, my mind and my heart and my affections fail to understand and respond rightly to the greatness of these truths in the text. I do not respond rightly, fully, to the truth that you are the greater prophet, that your word is truth, and that, Jesus, you you proclaimed the word as the word made flesh. And that in doing that, you saying and proclaiming forgiveness of sins 
is a great, glorious thing. And my mind and my affections fall short of giving you the glory that you deserve as the greater priest. The one who not only proclaimed forgiveness of sins, but provided forgiveness of sins. With that summary statement, there they crucified you, Jesus, is far greater than my heart can even comprehend. And that the realities of what took place on the cross are beyond my comprehension as your Father poured out wrath that I deserved on you, his innocent Son. And you did that willingly as my priest. And my heart and my mind fails to recognize and give you the glory that you are due as King of kings and Lord of lords. I and we do not treat you as the greatest king in our lives fully as we ought. We don't even comprehend the greatness But our hope is in the truthfulness of those things. That as prophet, priest, and king, you came on our behalf and fulfilled what we cannot and will not fulfill in our fleshly bodies. And you did it for us. Your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. And you took all of the punishment for us. And you really did set us free. And though our minds and our hearts fail and our affections fail, your word is truth. And there is no condemnation for those of us who are in you. And so we praise you and we thank you. And we come to you in hope, knowing that it is only because of you, Jesus, that we are made clean. And so with joy we partake of the bread and with joy we partake of the cup, remembering that it's all and always you. And we pray for your help in that. I pray for those who may be here, Lord, who don't know you, who have never truly submitted to you as king. And I pray that you would awaken them, that you would shine in their hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as your word says, you would shine, that they would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of you in the face of Jesus Christ and believe in you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.